Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to the realest podcast in the dunya, the three Muslims. Today we got a very special guest with us, but Bobby, I got a question for you. Are you ready for a news perspective today? Absolutely, man. Let's go. Alhamdulillah, man. Let's go. So before we go in, anything on your mind that you want to tell us? As we talked about briefly, because we are running short on time here for the viewers as well, Angel only has 20 minutes with us. So I would say we make this a two-part interview, two-part talk, and let's jump right in with veganism at first before we discuss Islam. Perfect, man. So sure. being born Muslims, right? And I know reverts too, they're, they're into, you know, we have the halal meat as Muslims. We don't have too much experience with veganism. Now, I'm, I'm sure there are some Muslim vegans. I don't particularly, I'm not a scholar or anything, but I, I don't think that being a vegan is anti-Islam, right? I think having a belief that we're not allowed to eat meat and we shouldn't eat meat because of that, I think that might get into haram territory. But if someone wants to be vegan by choice, I don't really particularly think there's anything wrong with that because um, I don't think it's an obligation to eat meat. Um, so what's your experience as a non-Muslim being an Orthodox Christian with veganism and just meat in general? The same would apply here. It's not an obligation. You don't have to eat meat. You don't have to do anything in particular when it comes down to diet. However, in the Christian Orthodox background, you have a very interesting fasting practice. So it is not like Ramadan where you don't eat at all, where you don't drink at all for many, many hours on end. But the Christian Orthodox, they eat plant-based as a fast. So they are cutting out all the meats. They're cutting out dairy, eggs, and they're just eating plants. So David's the Christian... fast, right? Come again? The David's fast. Yeah, similar. It's the fast that we do for Eastern and for Christmas. And it's quite interesting because they already understood that if you're abstaining from the meats, you're essentially abstaining from nourishment, and therefore it is a fast. The vegans, on uh -huh. the other hand, believe that you can get all your proteins from plants, you can get all the nutrition from plants. They don't understand that they find themselves within a fasting-mimicking state. Nevertheless, that being said, within the Bible, you have a very interesting passage that says in the future, it is revelations, in the future, there will be people that will tell you to abstain from the meats and forbid you to marry. So it's an interesting revelation. And nowadays, I think we find ourselves truly in a time where people want to forbid you to get married, to be promiscuous and to go vegan, ultimately to drink the soy. So it's quite interesting in that context. Nevertheless, yet again, as a Christian, you could technically go vegan, but it's definitely not something that would be promoted by the Christian Orthodox Church. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, veganism, that's like, that's a whole conundrum in and of itself. Like, people are just, the only way people really thrive on veganism is if they go excessive, excessive on the, the plants. And um, even then, they're adding protein powders and and some are like supplementing with eggs. So they're not fully, fully vegan. They're um, vegetarian. How long did you do it for, Angel? How long did you go vegan? I did veganism for like a year and a half, almost two. It That's sucked. <laughs> it sucked, man. So I remember I was, I was doing my training uh, very intense. I was eating macros like on point. But my body was just losing muscle every single day. Like by the end of the veganism, I looked like a almost like a like an emaciated kid from Africa. And you know, may oh. God forgive me. 
but it's like that's almost the degree that it looked like except with like a really big stomach mm, absolutely now sorry yeah, to interrupt right. absolutely because plants have fibers that are not digestible for human beings it is yeah. even called insoluble fiber for a good yeah, reason yeah. Yeah. If you look at herbivores, they can ferment certain plants. We, on the other hand, cannot. Meats and fruits come with enzymes that help you with the digestion. This is when you have a meat meal or a fruit meal. It doesn't bloat you like Facts. when you eat vegetables. And this That's is why facts. all the vegans get the skinny fat look where they're skinny, but they get those pot bellies. Yeah, yeah that's facts. Like, man, I remember I was always bloated. I remember I always felt weird, just like, mentally foggy didn't have energy um i didn't like it man and throughout the years i've been you know i had i came out of a vegan diet and went straight into a carnivore so it was like one extreme awesome. to the other bro yeah um, but i realized like you know a carnivore wasn't really it it was a good elimination diet just to see like okay well my body needs this it needs that um but over the years, I've been kind of like leaning more towards what you just said, like meat and fruits. It's the best. It really is, bro. Like for a it long time, I kind of, I don't know what's happening with the other two brothers, but yeah. No, but off, like, they, they don't want to talk about veganism. Nah, they definitely do. It's, <laughs> it's an interesting talk. It really is, man. Like anyone who's listening, um, nutrition is just interesting in general, but man like for the for the longest time i was thinking to myself like mm, maybe maybe meat and fruit can't really be it because you know they they put this live like oh you need this amount of fiber you need to get this fiber from these different sources and all that but it's like man i i, I don't know i can't speak for everyone but definitely for myself meat and fruit has been it maybe like a few nuts or almond butter or like dark chocolate here and there but that's pretty much it yeah I have, as I said, an almost one-year-old child, a son, thank God, and I let him eat what he wants. So I let him choose. Mm. And the things that he chooses, hands down always, fruits, raw fish, sashimi, and meat. That's it. Sashimi, yeah. fruits, meat. Mangoes and raw fish he can eat all day. <laughs> a little bit of chicken, a little bit of beef. That's it. He doesn't eat anything else. I tried a little bit of rice. He takes a little nibble and that's that. So intuitively you see that fruits and meats agree perfectly fine with our digestion. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. Man, sashimi, bro, it's something else. <laughs> it's beautiful. Absolutely. That was my vegan break. That's how I broke veganism with sashimi. And I felt no, as if my, my light turned back on. It was quite amazing. I did veganism for four years, man. And I remember finding your channel, Angel. And I asked you back then in the comment section, are you vegan as well? And you answered, yes. I remember that to this very day uh -huh. because I remember you had a shaved head and a beard similar to uh -huh. me and I just started with YouTube. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. What kind of content is Angel making? And you were talking about similar things. You were talking about nutrition. You were talking about no fab, psychedelics a bit here and there. So it was quite mm -hmm. interesting content that I could relate to because I wasn't to all of those things myself. But yeah, ultimately, veganism, I did it for four years straight, for the viewers that don't know. And during those four years, because as I said, in the Christian Orthodox faith, it is a fast. Mm. I felt after a while that I pushed it so far that I fasted my body so far, not only physically, but mentally, spiritually. I was just drained 
that I lost my connection to God completely. So therefore, I want to repeat, it's not obligatory that you have to eat meat as a Christian or in your case, as Muslims. But I would say that if you don't, you will lose the connection to what it means to be human because mm. God has created the meat for us as well. And if you don't follow the patterns that are laid out by God, then you will ultimately suffer. So it's mm. very, very simple. I mean, if you jump from a building, everybody believes in gravity. So you jump from a building and you're going to suffer certain repercussions. Or so maybe you're going to die. Maybe you're going to get injured. That is because there is such a natural law. And the same natural law goes a bit further. It's not only about gravity, but it's about nutrition. It's about behavior, ethics, morals, etc., etc. We can get into that a bit later. But if you don't conduct yourself by that framework, then you will suffer. It's very simple. And God will let mm -hmm. you do that too. Nobody forces you to eat the meat, but ultimately mm -hmm. you're going against your physiology, your God-given physiology. And this is why the vegans mm -hmm. suffer. Ultimately, you will see that they will get depressed you mentioned brain fog. Absolutely. Mm. You're not functioning well anymore. Many experience anxiety. Plenty of famous vegan YouTubers, they're all on antidepressants nowadays. So that is not a normal state to be. You cannot tell me that that is healthy. If your diet is so healthful, if your morals are aligned with not eating animals, why do you need antidepressants? Life should be perfect. But they're still mm. suffering tremendously. Many are even, I don't want to get into too much detail, but they're bleeding out of the other end mm -hmm. because of wrecked digestion to that extent teeth are rotting out and i had a barrage of similar ailments until i finally gave in and started eating the raw fish the eggs etc and this is curiously enough when i felt the urge to return back to god because i realized wow all of this science that I've been presented with, a plant-based diet is suitable for all stages of life. It's helpful for everybody. Go vegan, feed your kids vegan. Didn't work. So I was putting my trust in men and not in God instead of mm -hmm. accepting the way that it is. Mm -hmm. And every time you accept life as it is, I know in Islam it would be called to submit. Yeah. Then you come back to peace. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way of being. Mm -hmm. Every time you think that you know better than God, you're obviously not submitting, but you're rebelling against God. And that can be something that you do with dietary practices as well, because you don't want to accept the reality that the animals are here for us to eat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Damn, subhanAllah, bro. We got a comment. It says, I'm a secondhand vegan. I eat sheep and sheep eat grass. <laughs> mm. So, bro, Very based good. on that, I guess we're all just going to be secondhand vegans, not not primary, bro. But Better I got a question for you before uh, sure. you know, I pass it back to Anna because Anna has a few minutes left. What are your thoughts on halal slaughtering? Have you seen a halal slaughtering? I know we talked a little bit last night, but when you first saw it, what was your experience with it? When I first saw it, I just converted or reverted to Christian orthodoxy. And therefore... As I mentioned in my video, I had a strong opposition to Islam still. But then I saw that video, that video of the halal slaughter. For people that haven't seen it, the guy in the video, for me personally, looked just like Jesus. He came there with his long hair and a long beard. He just looked original like you would imagine Jesus to look like. And he was just as peaceful as Jesus was described. And he showed how the animals submit to the slaughter. That they just submit their will. They're not rebelling. They're not fighting. And it was absolutely amazing. And I said, this is the Muslim Jesus. If I've, <laughs> if I've seen anybody, <laughs> this must be it. 
that was crazy for me to see, especially coming from the Balkan. My uncles, my family members, they're all butchers and hunters. So when they slaughter, they take a big hammer and they ram that hammer to the forehead of the animal and knock it out, let's say, semi-knockout. Oftentimes it's still conscious. And then they slit the throat. So that was the slaughter that I've seen. And therefore I always thought, okay, the Western type of slaughter where you use a bolt gun to the head is mm -hmm. the better version. But then I saw that type of slaughter, that halal slaughter, and I really didn't know that that was possible to begin with. To be totally honest, I'm always skeptical. I would really love to see, not because I'm a sadist or anything, but I would really like to see the whole slaughter process because he only shows it until the moment, right? And then the screen goes blank. Mm -hmm. I know on YouTube you cannot really show those things, but mm -hmm. I would really like to see the whole process. I would like to see if the animal is still submitting when the throat gets slit. Mm -hmm. I have to be skeptical. Yeah. yeah, that would be interesting to see, huh? Right. Yeah. It was amazing to see, man. I love if, if it would be like that all the time, I think more people would ditch veganism right away and eat halal meat. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Uh, can, can, I guy is amazing. can you guys hear me yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah all right i have been lagging like crazy i don't know if you guys saw so i need to restart uh one thing i will say is um actually i heard mufti mank uh a more prominent muslim speaker he was saying that when the halal slaughter you know takes place when he actually you know slaughtered the animal it does kick and it does move but this is actually more of a mercy and it's 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 good because it's basically pumping out more blood it's, yeah. it's going to end mm -hmm. up, you know, getting rid of more blood, which we know that diseases are passed through the blood of the animals and mm -hmm. stuff. So it's actually for the mm -hmm. best for us to eat it. But with that being said, I'm going to restart my, my computer and I'll be back. Fair enough. Of course. Yeah, do you think, bro? Do you think? Yeah, it's the halal butcher, man. It's it's a beautiful thing when you see it. Um, but I think, honestly, the only thing that I wanted to say prior to what we were talking about is that you know, you got God made it very simple for us. God made it very simple for us. And when he created Adam and Eve, like we are the sons of Adam and Eve, and we have we have basically you have generations and generations and generations that have come to what we are now. Right? So we're just a mixture of all these different generations. Now God made it to where our bodies adapt. Like this is this is just a fact. I mean, you go to the gym, you work out, your body adapts instantly. It's like instant feedback. You're seeing it firsthand. It starts adapting and getting stronger or getting bigger, whatever the case might be, if you are recovering and you're eating appropriately, right? Now, adaptations occur all throughout your life. And if you're thinking that these generations that live beyond you didn't have these adaptations that occurred that kept occurring until it got to you, like you must be out of your mind because like at some point you have to see like people had adapted to hunting and gathering. At some point, another group of people adapted to farming. And then at some point, uh, a group of people adapted to that uh, shepherd, shepherd type lifestyle, which is kind of a mixture of hunter gatherer and the farmer in a way because they're farming the animals, so they have that consistent food, but they're really fasting a lot and they're kind of eating whatever they find. Yeah. But with that being said, with that being said, man, like 
Um, someone even mentioned it here that some people just need more protein and iron. This is true. Like the people who have, you know, the adaptations from the hunter gatherers, we tend to do better with meat and fruit and maybe a little bit of extra stuff on the side. And then you have the people who they originated or they stem from the farmers. They adapted like this. Therefore, they can eat a lot of plants. They can eat a lot of carbohydrates, a lot of vegetables. They're all right with it. You know, their body doesn't seem to give them any issues. But it's like you have to see the clear difference. And even then, even then, these people who their body doesn't give them any issues with the vegetables or carbohydrates, they still eat meat. Exactly. There's a very interesting book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. It was written roughly 105 years ago by a guy called Weston A. Price. He was a dentist, a vegetarian dentist, who went out on a journey to find a vegetarian slash vegan population. So he went to Africa, he went to South America, he went even to rural areas in Europe, because 105 years ago there was still some more rural areas. And he wanted to find that vegetarian population, as I said, but obviously he couldn't find them. What he did find, however, is perfect dental health within those indigenous people. And then he noticed that they were all eating meat predominantly and very, very little plants. The point is that, sure, the diets differed a little bit, but ultimately it was always predominantly animal foods with a little bit of plants that were either fermented or pickled like sourdough breads, pickled vegetables, etc., etc., mm. And that is the point that people have to understand. There's never been a vegan <laughs> civilization. Civilizations have been built on meat. Our civilization as well. Now, if you want to go to the supermarket and get your tofu or your soy drink, <laughs> the truck driver that brought the tofu into the supermarket eats meat. The cashier eats meat as well, right? The workers that build their supermarkets build it on meat too. Everything is founded on that. So if you want to make the claim, yeah, well, we never did it before, but now we can, it would mean you would have to change your biology. And of course, this is why I attack veganism, if you will. I'm speaking against it because veganism goes hand in hand with the transhumanist movement because the people know intuitively that humans cannot get away long term with eating only plants. Therefore, our biology, our flesh is bad. Ooh, bad, bad humans. And we have to get away from our own biology, from the way that God made us. But hey, forget about it. There is no God anyways. That's what the atheists and the vegans think. So therefore, it doesn't matter if we just change our DNA. We can start, of course, with certain procedures that I'm not going to mention here. In the current scenario, we are not allowed to talk about those things anyways here on YouTube. So I'm going to keep it as censored as possible. But there are certain technologies that can change the DNA of the human body. And this is where this is leaded, ultimately. Because veganism is not meant for human consumption. You have to change what you are in order to cope with that deficient diet. There is a very, very good reason why people like Bill Gates are buying, on, buying farmland and are the biggest farmland owners. And they're promoting Beyond Burgers. You have to think about those things and put one and one together to understand what kind of diet they want to feed the population. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. 
My better put out there, but it looks like it came in at a good time. Yeah, yep. bro. We got a we got a comment that says, "Just want to mm -hmm. say, Bobby, all slaughter leads to kicks and convulsions. That doesn't matter. The main thing is when the carotids and jugular are sliced, the animal goes immediately out." Mm, yeah. Fair enough. I didn't know that. I was thinking that you need to. I mean, obviously, because I grew up around those practices, that you need to knock it out prior, because the lights don't go off when you cut the jugular. But I don't mm. know. I would have to look into it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting for sure. I remember hearing that um, when you do, you know, cut the jugular and everything, there's some kind of nerve or something that is also sliced. So the the neurons are not transmitted, transmitted, so they don't actually mm -hmm. feel the pain after you know, at a certain point, as soon as it's slit. Uh, slit. That's what I remember hearing. But you know, Allah Adam, something to be looked into, and maybe discussed by a professional as well. Might and, be, uh, might be. Yeah, I either, think either way, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, you will not get around eating meat as a human being. I make that argument. Just last week it was, or two weeks ago, I had an interview with a 14-year ex-vegan. She was vegan for 14 years, hmm. and that was the longest case I ever heard about. And she ended up in the hospital bleeding internally, and she almost died. So that was the longest case ever. 14 years on a plant-based diet. She tried it all, be it fruitarianism, raw veganism, junk food veganism, call it what you will. And in the end, she ended up in the hospital. And what more proof do you really need? I mean, people get all kinds of diseases by eating that way. And on top of that, people are already eating an 80% plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. That's something what people don't understand. They're talking about the standard American diet. What do you think about? Burgers, fries, sodas. That's all plant-based. The fries are potatoes. That's plants. The soda is sugar, comes from the sugar cane, is a plant. The burger, bread, wheat, is a plant. Lettuce, tomatoes, onions, plants. Then you have a little bit of meat with cheese. That's it. That's the only animal food within that whole menu. So ultimately, people are already eating an 80% plant-based diet. Therefore, you see a push to make it 100% or eat the bugs, as they say nowadays as well. There's a push for eating bugs nowadays, eating the soy, eating whatever, in order to replace those nutritionally dense animal foods and to bring people away from health. But ultimately, mm. I see it as something spiritual, as I said, because I saw it on my own body and on my wife as well, that after veganism, we both felt totally detached from God, completely. There was nothing left anymore, just mm. left alone. And I think that if you don't go towards God, God won't go towards you either. You have to make a step. Mm. Uh, we have the same comments. I mean, consciousness, awareness, even in humans, is from the reticular activating system, and it's extremely sensitive to ongoing blood flow. If you stop blood flow abruptly, it's guaranteed no consciousness from that moment on. So I, don't know, I didn't know that. Uh, Interesting. I, also, I didn't know that either. Bro, I was also going to say that... Um, it's the extremes, you know, the extremes that uh, disrupt our nutrients that we're getting in, right? Like um, proper nutrients, I should say. So if you go to veganism, at first people feel more spiritual. Why do they feel more spiritual? Because <laughs> like you said, you're, you're basically uh, almost, fasted. you're almost fasted. And when you fasted, you feel very spiritual. You feel very close to a, God, so it makes sense, right? But the more you do it, the more you are like depleting yourself of the proper nutrients that you need, 
Therefore, ultimately, you're just going to uh, exhaust yourself, and then you're not going to feel the connection to God at all. Same goes with carnivore, bro. Like, with carnivore, you are missing certain nutrients. You know, like, you're in keto. Keto is good. It's a healing type of way, but you're not supposed to do keto all the time. And when you're in keto for a long period of time, like, the body is not really producing insulin the way it should. Therefore, it's not holding on to water and electrolytes the way that it should. Therefore, you have to supplement with outrageous amounts of electrolytes. And think about it, like, where do the electrolytes come from? Comes from the fruit. And then yeah. maybe some plants here and there if you really want to include the plants. That is absolutely correct, man. I say that every time you need to supplement anything, you already know that your diet is deficient. I mean, it's quite obvious. Otherwise, why would you have to supplement? On the vegan diet, yeah. you need at least B12. You could make the argument for vitamin A as well, vitamin B6, D3, K2, creatine, carnosine. There are many things that you might want to supplement as well. But nevertheless, on a carnivore diet, long-term, the same applies. And you see as well, when they do blood tests, that long-term carnivore leads to decreased thyroid function and decreased testosterone levels as well. So mm -hmm. it is just not sustainable. I think in the diet community, people want to reinvent the wheel. And it's alluring that you found the holy grail, so to speak. It's just eating meat. It's just eating plants. But ultimately, we all know that we've been eating both for the longest time. So it's actually not that complicated. The best thing to do is simply to stay away from the processed stuff and eat as close to nature as possible. That's yeah. not rocket science, ultimately. Mm. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Bro. Yo, Arnold, do you have to get going soon? Uh, let me check the brother, see if he's here. So we got a question here. Uh, ask Bobby what his opinion on dates are. Dates, food or dates, dating? Dates, I'm assuming since it's Ramadan, bro, dates, Probably, food, yeah. bro. Man, I love dates. Back in the day when I used to still hardcore bodybuild in my early 20s, I used dates as my post-workout shake replacement. So dates bring you very quick sugars. There's a lot of glucose within dates. So therefore, I know that you guys use it to break your fast. It's perfect for that because it brings mm -hmm. the blood sugar back up. I always used it post-workout. In the beginning, I used supplements like maltodextrin or dextrose or any type of simple sugar. But then in the end, I said, why would I just drink my calories if I can sit down and enjoy some beautiful medjool dates? So I did rather that instead. And yeah, I love dates. Dates are absolutely delicious, man. Perfect, man. <laughs> yeah. Bobby wins the beard battle between y'all. Bobby, give us some beard advice. Your beard looks good, mashallah. Yeah, I agree, bro. What's your routine, bro? Thank you very much, bro. I have to disappoint you guys. You have to choose parents. For that, I don't do anything with my beard. It's just hairy Balkan beard. I trim it here and there. And guys, my bad. It. Pause for one second. Um, I do got to get going. The brother's Please. here. We're about to head out. Um, it's been, honestly, bro, it's been great. Uh, great talking God to you, we Yeah, God willing, we'll all be able to get here together and talk. Again. Absolutely. It was cool that you stopped yeah. by, bro. Yeah, I'm glad I did. No. Yeah, man. I look forward to looking. At, yeah, I look forward to looking at the rest of the stream later on, inshallah. All right, then, bro. Take care, man. Right, bro. Enjoy Juma. All the best. Take care, brothers. Oh, I was about to end the broadcast, my bad. Don't do that, man. Yeah, y'all. All right, take care, bro. All right.
Yeah, that's what I was saying. Beard routine. There is no routine, guys. Honestly, I don't use any products on my body other than simple soap. Uh, that's it. I just use soap. So when I was backpacking through Thailand, I picked up that habit and I was just using the little hotel soap. And I liked it so much that I just stuck with it because it gives you a very nice dry feeling after the shower. Mm. And that's it. I don't use any beard oils. Back in the day, I even had a bigger beard and I was thinking about advertising for a beard oil because companies started writing me on Instagram. And I said, yeah, well, I'm not using it. So I'm not going to lie about it. I don't use anything. I tried a little bit of Moroccan oil. I forgot the name of it. For a while, I think it made it a bit more luscious, but Argan I'm oil. not the type of guy that sits around and does that. Mm. You talking about Argan oil? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, okay. Argan oil, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alhamdulillah. I can't find the time for that, man. Mm-hmm. It's not you that I don't have it. I'm just too lazy to do that. I just Honestly, shower. Man, like that, that's use that's a how it brush. is. Like, I, I asked Anho a few times, like, what is what is your beard routine? He's like, bro, barely anything. Thing, mm. you know there's some different types of oils that, that he uses you know some stuff that we're going to discuss in a few videos inshallah for the viewers but uh anyone that made it this far smash that like button check the description there's probably already timestamps, right by the time they see it after the live stream um so you guys can like pick and choose and a lot of people are probably going to skip to this part where things are going to get real bro but i got a question for you being an orthodox christian for people that haven't seen your video What's your journey with the Quran? Because this is something you've been on the Dean show, I think a day or two ago, alhamdulillah, I saw a little bit of that. So a snippet of that. But for people that haven't caught up to speed on that, give us a little bit about your story. Yeah, my story is that, first I have to say the Quran, out of my context, is the forbidden book. So we don't read it, right? It's the devil's book. We don't touch it. Simple. I grew up as a Christian Orthodox, but I have to say that my parents were kind of secular. They both believed in God, but we would go to church only for Christmas and for Easter. That's about it. And for weddings, of course. But other than that, we wouldn't go every Sunday like most Christians do. But culturally, I am from Macedonia. That is a small country on the Balkan. We have a very, very long history with Islam and battling Islam. Because for 500 years, there was the Ottoman occupation on the Balkans and the Ottoman Empire spread up to Austria even. So it encompassed Serbia, Croatia, Macedonia, Bulgaria. All of that became Muslim, if you will. It was the caliphate. And in the end, after the Ottomans were defeated, only the Bosnians and the Albanians if I'm not mistaken, I think those are the only two groups that stayed Muslim on the Balkans. And we were proud of that, right? So that is something that is celebrated to this very day. That is my baby in the background screaming, if you hear it. Hey! Yeah. Anyways, we are very proud of that as a nation. We defeated the Turks. And for the longest time, I believed that, it's going to be funny for Muslims, I thought that Islam is a Turkish faith. I had no idea that it's Arabic at all. I thought the Turks invented it. And we even have a saying on the Balkans that we will never take on the Turkish faith. Mm. That's it. If you look at Muslims on the Balkan, even if they're ethnically Slavic, they're considered Turkish. So that is the context on the Balkan. Everybody that is Muslim is automatically a Turk. Macedonians that became Muslim during the Ottoman time are considered Turks as well. 
And it's quite interesting that those groups on the Balkans, they don't mingle. So we don't talk to the Albanians. They do their business, we do our business. Nowadays it's a bit different, but especially throughout the 90s, 2000s. It was like that. We don't talk with them, we don't mingle with them, you don't see any intermarriage, and they're always considered the enemy. 2001 then was the last war against the Albanians, and this is when a lot of atrocities happened, as it is with war. And many Albanians started shooting Christian Orthodox churches as well. And that cemented it for me, of course. I said, well, that confirms it. The Muslims hate us. So I have to hate them. There is no other choice. I'm not going to bow down now and just accept it. They are our enemies. And since then, I built up this hate, so to speak, against Islam in my heart. And that got confirmed even in Germany. Because I lived in Germany pretty much my whole life. In Germany, most Muslims that I met were involved in criminal activity. So be drug dealing, gang violence, prostitution even, robberies and whatnot. I had a few Muslim friends, but even those guys would always report on, oh man, I have to go to jail now. I have another court meeting. My brother is in jail. Oh bro, that is haram while smoking a joint. That was always it. That's what I would see. They would tell me how haram it is to do those things but they would still do them consistently. So I thought to myself, well, man, this just confirms it. I saw Islam as violent on the Balkan. They started the war. And now I just see a lot of criminality here in Germany. So that must be it. That faith itself must be violent, must be something that leads people down that path because I don't see the Christians do that. Of course, nowadays, if you look on the broad scale, you will see Christians committing a lot of atrocities as well. But from my biased perspective, that just confirmed it. And therefore, I didn't want to look into it at all. Even though I wasn't strongly identified religiously, culturally, I was identified as a Christian Orthodox, always. And I saw no need to look deeper into that religion. Then in my 20s, I got into partying a lot. And through partying, saw a lot of different angles of life involving, of course, drugs as well. And that opened up my perception to Buddhist practices, Hindu practices, because believe it or not, those dance events, techno events, they go hand in hand sometimes with a little bit of Hindu influence. You have Goa, Sai trance and whatnot. Anyways, I looked into all the religions, essentially, other than Islam, all of them. I checked them all out. I looked into the Hare Krishnas, Buddhism, whatever. I looked into the Aztecs, Mayan calendars. And then I got into psychedelics myself. I experienced magic mushrooms. I started growing magic mushrooms myself. And then I decided, you know what? Religion is all fake anyways. I have to go to the source. What was pre-religion? Shamanism. Paganism. That's it. I have to go to South America and drink ayahuasca, the psychedelic brew of the shamans, with the native people. So I did even that, man. I participated in the ceremony. <laughs> we were brewing the ayahuasca, drinking that, going on a vision quest and whatnot. I did it all, but I still didn't look into the Quran. After that, as I said in my video, I was left with essentially a feeling of a void. I was a vegan, tripping out on mushrooms, seeing all kinds of spiritual things but still having no connection to God that I used to have as a child. As a child, it was simple. I would go to bed, pray, and feel that connection with God. And now after all that journeying, 
I felt further away from God than ever before. So how can that be? So much spiritual work, and now I have no connection to God at all. And that's when I felt this strong pull to really look into religion again. And naturally, of course, culturally, essentially the only way for me to look into religion was, of course, Christian orthodoxy. That was what was presented to me at that time. And at first, I absolutely embraced it, and I felt at home. And to this very day, I have to say, for people, there are even reaction videos on YouTube. You see Muslims reacting to Orthodox church choirs. The choirs are quite beautiful to listen to. It has a very spiritual depth. And that really made me feel at home, made me feel like, ah, oh, there's a true spiritual connection to God here. I went so far to go to Mount Athos, which is for people that don't know, kind of like the Mecca of Christian Orthodoxy. It is an island in Greece that hasn't been touched for a thousand years. You still have the monasteries from a thousand years ago. And on that island live only monks, only male monks, no females, nothing. Those guys live isolated there, like in a prison, just to worship God. It's quite interesting. I went over there, spent some time in the monastery, learned more and more. But during that search, I realized that I was the first one in my family to really look deep into our religion. And this is when I found out about the Trinity and all the rest, the theological explanation. And for me personally, that was quite the shocker because I never thought about God in a triune fashion. Why would I? I don't think that anybody does to this very day. And I know I'm going to upset Christians and that is totally fine. I upset people all the time on my channel. I really don't care. I'm just going to tell you what I think. This is why I call my channel as well Bobby's Perspective. Nevertheless, I was very confused hearing that, but I didn't want to go back to my own ways. And I said, I have to accept this religion the way that it is, because otherwise I follow my own will and not God's will. So if God revealed himself like that to us, I have to submit my will and I have to take the religion as a whole, because otherwise I'm going to cherry pick certain things and make it fit my own agenda. And that is dangerous. So therefore, I took it as a whole. I did the fasting practices, the vegan pra fasting practices. That was terrible because after four years of veganism, to go back to a vegan fast was quite hard. And ultimately, I started trying to, I like to say, brainwash myself into believing that God is a trinity. So I started trying to make sense out of it. It's not one plus one plus one, but it's one times one times one. And therefore, it is still one. And essentially, the father is the origin, but he begets the son eternally through the Holy Spirit. And I said, man, that's really not me here. What am I trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. But I stuck with it. Two years time, man. Two years time it took me to try to convince myself of it. But ultimately, I couldn't make myself believe it. And this is when I started speaking about it slowly but surely on my channel. Got a lot of backlash, of course, from the Christian community. And this is when a lot of Muslims came over to my channel because they noticed. And that's when they said, okay, man, why don't you read the Quran? And I said, you know what, man? After all of that that I've been through, no worries. I'm going to read the enemy's book. And so I did. And, and what did you find in the enemy's book? Yeah, it's quite amazing, man. As I said in my video... The most impressive or most shocking thing to me is that right away from the first passage, 
it says it glorifies God, right? The most merciful, the most gracious. And that was shocking to me because I haven't read anything like that within the Bible, which is not a knock on the Bible because I say that the Bible is a different type of book. It's much more like a library of different books and it doesn't even claim to be the word of God at all times. It's much more of a yeah, library of different works. Take it for what you will. But it doesn't start with glorifying God as such. And that was very impressive to me. I didn't expect that to be within the Quran. Moreover, I have to say what was the most shocking aspect to me, which for you guys is absolutely common sense, and you're probably wondering why I'm going to say that, but the oneness of God, <laughs> believe it or not, was the most shocking aspect for me because I thought that Islam is a religion about violence, about hijabs, about not eating pork, whatever. On that note, I'm not eating pork myself. I haven't touched pork since I'm 16 years old. Wow. I don't eat any of that. And I'm 34, 35 almost. Yeah, anyhow, for 20 years, I haven't touched pork. That being said, yeah, I thought that is the religion and it has nothing to do with the oneness of God. During my spiritual adventures, if you will, I experienced the oneness of God with and without those psychedelics, those shamanic brews. The oneness of God is something that is innate to us and that we can experience. Once I started reading the Quran, finding out about the fitra, that was the most powerful thing because it explained the natural predisposition of humankind to worship one creator. And that made all the sense in the world. Hands down. Yeah. This is why the Quran was so powerful reading it. And I have certain questions for you guys, but I'm going to keep it for the end. I just want to say that that innate predisposition that is mentioned within the Quran is, I believe, something that would benefit Christians and any other religion as well. Just to remind them of the oneness of God and bring at least their mental focus back onto that. Yeah, yeah, 100%, bro. Very beautifully said, honestly. That is very beautifully said. In Islam, the belief of la ilaha illallah, that there's no God worthy of worship except Allah, which means a lot more than you know it, it sounds like, um, which we can get into later, is the most important thing. We call it tawheed, which is establishing the oneness of God, or right? understanding the oneness of Allah is the most important thing in Islam. And you can definitely not be a Muslim without believing in that. Because to be lie about God, as Allah says in the Quran, is is you know one of the worst things. Who is worse than a person who lies about Allah? Actually, there's a very beautiful, there's a few verses in the Quran, actually, a small surah that we have prepared for you to listen to, a recitation of, inshallah, in a bit. Then we'll move on to your questions and stuff after Fayyad uh, jumps in. But uh, the verses I want to mention from the Quran, Allah says in the Quran, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem, Bismillah Rahman Rahim. He says, indeed you will die, and indeed they will die. Or indeed they will die, and indeed you will die. Um, and you'll both be raised, basically, back to Allah on the Day of Judgment um, and to dispute in front of your Lord. Uh, later he says, فَمَنْ أَغْلَمُ مِمَّنْ كَذَّبَ عَلَى اللَّهِ وَكَذَّبَ بِالصِّدَقِ إِذْ جَاءَ Basically, and who is worse than somebody who lies about Allah um, and lies about so on and so forth? And that Jahannam, hellfire, has been created for the disbelieving people. 
Um, so that is one of the most important things in Islam, that we speak the truth about God and only that which he reveals about himself. That's very powerful, man. Yeah, as I said, for me, that was the most shocking part. For Muslims, that's the most obvious part. But if you haven't looked into the religion, you don't recognize that it is a religion, or I would say, if not the purest re religion of monotheism. That's definitely not what I expected looking into the Quran. So that was what was leaving me flabbergasted after reading it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Bro, you want me to put up the video? Yeah. Let's go, man. Yeah, Bobby, we got a little bit of a surprise for you. We, we want to get a pure. Yeah, you told me. Reaction. I'm excited. What's happening <laughs> yeah, now? I, um, before we play, I just want to mention that I selected this surah from the Quran based on your story, actually. Thank I you very much. One question Did you just read it? Did you read it or did you recite it yourself? Uh, this surah? Yeah. I, I initially I was trying to learn it, so I was listening to a reciter recite it. Uh, but this was actually, subhanAllah. This was one of my favorite surahs, like <clears throat> two years back. And I remembered it when I heard your story. I'm like, man, what was that surah? And then I went and I found out. I'm like, this is perfect, inshallah. Nice. Yeah, it's fitting. Perfect. Thank you very much. Let's put it up then. Let's go. Absolutely beautiful, man.
That's Beautiful. not real. The last sentence that you don't will anything that Allah wills is a really striking home for me personally. That's what we briefly touched upon in the beginning when I said that you might have your own will, even when it comes down to dietary practices or whatever it might be, but ultimately you cannot go against the will of God. If you don't submit to the will of God, you're always in consistent suffering, and then to him you will be returned again. That was found in there as well. That's very beautiful, man. Powerful. Yeah, subhanAllah. Every time I listen to it, man, it's, it's, it's the same feeling. It doesn't get old. It's just <laughs> like straight goosebumps. And when you listen to it and you reflect on it, it's, it's so powerful. It's so powerful, in my personal opinion. But um, yeah, subhanAllah. Fired, bro. Bro, wallahi, man, I'm not just saying this for the video, but every time I listen to the Quran or I read the Quran, it just hits me in the feels, man. Even seeing like the, the video that we pulled up, the recitation, just the verses, it's almost like you you, you read this like a hundred times in your life, thousand times in your life, million times, but every time you read it, it gives you direct context and reflection on what you're going through in life. It's always relevant. And I think that transcends any other, any other book in the world, a book that's man-made or a book that just made, you know, just to appeal to our desires, bro. This this truly is the word of God, bro. And those that believe otherwise, I, I highly recommend y'all to do exactly what Bobby did. Even if you don't go into it with some type of intention, go into it with, with just zero, I guess, bias, because that's a huge important thing. And just to see where it goes. Even though I have to say that even going in with a bias like I did, because I went in with a bias to find the devil, that's cool too. Just do it that way then. I did it too and I didn't find him. So even with the bias... Still just make yourself read the whole book and then see how you feel after that. Because when I discuss with people, they always tell me, yeah, I read some passages. Okay, where, how, a couple of passages that you found online. I never see anybody that really tells me I read the whole Quran from cover to cover and I came to that and that conclusion. Nobody ever does that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, see, there's there's Christians today, right? I say Christians and they watch David Wood's videos, bro. They watch Apos. They watch all these YouTubers that they really don't have any idea what they're talking about, about Islam. And you mentioned a little bit about that. So tell us about your relationship with just any of these apologetics that are actually Islamophobes. Sure. Ultimately, it happened when I, again, reverted or converted, call it what you will, to Christian orthodoxy, and I wanted to stand firmer within my faith. That's when I explored certain debates, Christians versus Muslims, etc., etc. And then I found out about David Wood, and he has a very interesting video, credit where credit is due. It's a one-take video in black and white, where he tells his whole story about being an atheist and then coming to faith. It's really well done, I have to say, because this guy is walking down the subway station and is recording over his shoulder, talking to the camera. And it's one take from one station through the subway and he comes out in New York City and he tells his whole story. Quite impressive. Really, really well done. And he never grasps for words or anything. It's a magnificent video. I still have to give it to him. But in that video, he talks about that he used to be a psychopath and took a hammer to smash his father's head in. So it's a testament to who this guy is, ultimately. But that didn't make me shy away from watching his content. And his content, I mean, obviously you guys are familiar with it. For me, just confirmed yet again my then hatred towards Islam and my suspicion about Islam. So I just took it at face value. The guy just takes a surah or takes a hadith and just talks about it. 
puts into a certain context, tells you that all the Muslims are out there to get you and they're all planning the silent jihad. They are not your average neighbor. They're all conspiring against you. So ultimately, I believed what he said without ever reading the Quran. And it was easy to simply Google certain things, certain hadiths that he mentioned. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, here it is. I found it as well myself now. So therefore, he must be right. Then later on, I found the guy that you call Apis as well. That guy was never too convincing to me. He seemed very wishy-washy, a bit all over the place. Just wasn't a strong character. David Wood at least is well-spoken. Let's give him that. And therefore, it was a better presentation that was somewhat appealing. Apis not so much. He had this sneaky atheistic vibe about him that I simply dislike in general. I don't really like to listen to atheists because atheists have no ground to stand on. There is no logic within anything they're going to tell you. They're going to tell you that their words are important, but there is no moral origin. There is no universal morals. There is absolutely no <laughs> implication of right and wrong and no implication of truth. But hey, listen to me. What I'm saying is true. So why would I listen to your words to begin with? It's completely ridiculous. So therefore, atheists were never compelling to me to begin with. However, from a Christian standpoint, even though David Wood is not a Christian Orthodox, it was somewhat compelling. And I felt reaffirmed and simply strengthened within my own belief system. Because if you have an enemy, it's much easier to stand firm within your ground as well. I mean, no matter how you look at it, let's be fair here. Even as Muslims, then you have the rest, the liberal West, for example, even just seeing that group of people that gives you, of course, a reaffirmation of your own faith. So this is how I saw it. It's, ah, okay, Christianity true, Islam wrong, Islam bad, and mm. therefore he must be right. Yeah. But ultimately, the Muslims were right as well that David Wood makes really, really good promotion for Islam because he made me read the Quran indirectly as well, right? I got interested in Islam through his videos. Then I started watching the debates with him and Mohammed Hijab and other people. And it was quite interesting to see and to follow down that rabbit hole. So I would say that nevertheless, even bad promotion is still promotion. So don't knock it, it's still good for Islam. Yeah, you hear a lot of um, people who mention that, you know, oh, I, I looked into Islam after 9-11. I heard a lot about Muslims mm. and they were this and they were that and they're terrorists and all, all these, you know, horrible things because of 9-11 and other events. And then they look into Islam and they find, you know, if if they incline towards peace, also incline towards peace. What is this? What is this religion? You know, I, I thought it's supposed to be, you know, I'll kill these people, I'll kill that people, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is a lot more peaceful. This is talks about God. This talks about living life, being good to your neighbors, giving to the orphans, taking care of the poor, and all these beautiful things that, you know, I thought only, you know, white European people could practice. Only they can do it, huh? <laughs> it's only the whites. Yeah. We got our Friday congregational prayer soon. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to definitely have Angel back, you back, and we're going to have like a proper normal episode and definitely go deeper. But before we wrap it up, I know you got some few questions, so I do want to hear them out. So, Bismillah, bro, take it away. Okay, man. So we already have to wrap it up. I said it in the beginning. I need at least two hours, man. One hour is too short for me. I always like to ramble. But anyways, I just wrote down some questions that are concerning to me or of interest to me after reading the Quran. Of course. So the Quran, especially after we heard that recitation, you guys said as well, the Quran is the word of God. Yeah. 
in the Quran itself, it is mentioned that the Quran is clear. Mm -hmm. And therefore, my follow-up question is simply, if it is clear, if it is the word of God, why do we need hadiths in order to understand the Quran? This is something that I'm trying to wrap my head around. Yeah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the Quran, when he revealed it, he revealed it in very in regards to very specific situations. And I'll talk about what hadith are in a second. But he revealed the Quran, like for example, a woman would come to the Prophet peace be upon him and ask something like, why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always mention the guys, always the men, you know, Muslimin, which is the, the masculine plural. It does encompass women as well, linguistically speaking, but it could also just specifically refer to men. So it's uh, the Prophet he didn't have the answer. He didn't know. And then Allah revealed the verses saying, The Muslim men and the Muslim women, the believing men and the believing women, and so on and so forth, uh, in regards to that specifically. So the Quran being clear, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says he revealed it in uh, clear Arabic, meaning that when we read it in the original language, it is something that is easily understood as we can go back to the Prophet, which is when the hadith comes in, and see exactly how it was understood by them. So we don't speak classical Arabic today naturally, right? If we did, then the Quran would be a lot more clear if we understood the words they were using. So the disconnect is mainly because of that, not just transition from one language to Arabic, but from Arabic to classic, classical Arabic, right? Think about classical English and how different it is to regular English, how difficult it is to read. I would say it's somewhat similar. So the Quran okay. itself is clear, but to answer the question, why do we have hadith? The Quran itself says that we have revealed the Quran so that you can explain it to them. Because the Quran was sent in pair with what we call the hikmah, as the Quran mentions, or the Prophet mentioned. And the hikmah is the wisdom of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and the sunnah that he followed. So although the Quran is generally clear, which I'll explain it like this, the Quran itself covers everything vastly, whether it's general or specific. But when we read the Quran, we don't have all the knowledge to begin with, to understand exactly what it is referring to in all the context. So when we refer to the sunnah of the Prophet, peace be upon him, which the Quran describes and which the Quran tells us to, look at the example of the Prophet, we find a lot more of a clear example because we have him as the example. So I hope that makes sense. It's mainly a, um, a translational issue. And also the way they spoke with the classical Arabic back then is very different to us. But if we spoke it, we would understand it a lot clearer. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Because that was something that became interesting to me after reading the Quran. And I heard of groups that call themselves Quranists. That was their argumentation as well. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the Sunni Muslims that would be totally against that. And yeah, that was something that was on my mind, the clarification. So if it is a translational issue, that would make even more sense. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Thank you. Of course, of course. Bro. Yeah. All right. Cool. Next question. Next question is, what I found interesting is when I was reading the Quran, it mentioned the people of the book, uh, the Christians. It mentioned the Jews. And it didn't necessarily, at least the way that I understood it, this is why I'm asking, didn't necessarily mention conversion of those people. However, it spoke about the context of clarification. And I was wondering, is the Quran appealing to the Christians and to the Jews to return to monotheism within their traditions? Or is it to leave them completely behind and everybody converts to Islam? So it's for everyone to accept Islam. And that's shown in two ways. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, 
that there is no deen, no way or system of life that's accepted except Islam. And that whoever so turns away from Islam, you know, after it being presented to them, they are a kafir. They are a disbeliever and they will be punished for their basically neglecting of that. Because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends, you know, Jesus uh, to the people and you have Christians following him. And then later, you know, as we believe the message gets corrupted, that's no longer the religion of God. So and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he sends the same message with a different prophet, a new messenger. That original message is what you are supposed to follow. So if you have something that's maybe, let's say, 98% truthful, but 2% corrupted versus something that's 100% truthful, where you're, you know, by definition of what the truth is, you should go for 100% uh, to get the full message. And the other example I can give is the Prophet peace upon giving da'wah to Jews and Christians to come and accept Islam and Jews and Christians accepting Islam. And actually, a main, one of the main things that the Quran refers to is the book. You know, the Bible, the Old Testament, and what the Christians had at the time as well. Because they had mention of a prophet that's coming to them. And the Jews actually used to say to the Arabs at the time, you know, just wait for our prophet to come. He's going to come here. He's going to come soon. Just wait. We're going to basically win and beat you guys later on. And when the Arabs heard that, and this man named Muhammad, peace be upon him, came claiming to be a prophet, and he kind of fit the criteria, they're like, we should get on this now. Because this is what the Jews are always threatening us with, you know, their prophet and stuff. But 100% is clear with the Quran and the Sunnah that the Prophet, peace be upon him, called them to come practice Islam. Very, very interesting, man. That brings me to the next one. And it is essentially the last one asking questions about the Quran in itself. You mentioned bringing people back to the true religion. And the way that I understood it, again, because I just read the Quran, now I started reading certain hadiths. I started with Sahih Bukhari. Mm -hmm. And the way that I understood Islam Essentially, we're talking about the submission to God. So therefore, we have a line of prophets. You have Abraham, who was the first that really submitted to God in terms of prophets here on earth. Before that, you had Adam that is considered a prophet as well because he was in direct submission to God. My question is, is that submission to God directly linked to Islam, to, let's say, the organized religion of Islam, the way that we see it nowadays? Or... Is there a way to submit to God, let's say, in a, for the lack of better words, in a different fashion? Because I have to question if Abraham and Jesus and Moses, if they all submitted in the same way that we see Muslims submit nowadays. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I butchered it a little bit. No, no, no. I, I get the question. I get honesty. Uh, I understand what you're asking. And it's. I think it's a common question for a lot of people. Um, you know, how did these prophets practice? What did it look like? And yeah. Yeah, are we similar? There was actually a very interesting debate between Adnan Rashid and James White, uh, where they talk about who resembles Jesus more specifically, Christians or Muslims. And uh, you'll find that not only do Muslims resemble Jesus more based on the Bible itself, uh, but we actually resemble Abraham more, Noah more, David more, all the prophets mentioned in the Bible more because they were people who, you know, perhaps fasted, who uh, prayed and prostrated with their head on the ground, exactly like Muslims. Jesus, you know, you described him before relating to the other Muslim brother as a, with the long beard and long hair, which mm -hmm. is the son of the Prophet, peace be upon him, as well. Um, so, in terms of submitting to God and what does that look like, as a Muslim, when we say La ilaha illallah, we're not just saying that, oh, there's no God except Allah. What we're truly saying is that there is no one who I take a way of life from, no one who I take morality from, no one that I 
you know, learn about how I should live and what's good and what's bad and all of these things, except God. I don't let people tell me how life should be, what the purpose of life is, and or anything really for that matter, except God. Right. And because of that, anything that God tells me to do, I will do. And anything God tells me not to do, I will not do. And anything that is preferred, I will strive to do. And anything that is disliked, I will, you know, try and shy away from. And that's basically what being a Muslim means. Muslim, basically, Muslim is someone who practice, practices Islam. And Islam comes from the term Salam, which means submission. So when we say submission, it's what you mentioned before, submission to the will of God. So even if, you know, how Abraham lived looked a little bit different to how I lived, it could just be because God commanded him to live in one way and God commanded us to live in another. But regardless, there is no real difference. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions in the Quran that Abraham, peace be upon him, was not a Jew, nor was he a Christian, but he was an upright man. And that he was someone who was named, who, who was given the title of Khalil Allah, the friend of Allah, because of, uh, as Allah mentions in Surah Najm, he's someone who fulfilled his obligations perfectly. And that's the definition of someone who submits to Allah, someone who fulfilled mm -hmm. the obligations in regards to God. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was wondering about because Islam itself, the submission of your will must be something so universal that could be then found even outside of the now Islamic context. So I'm a universalist in a sense, if you will. Mm -hmm. I would have to believe that if I would be on a lonely island with no input from anybody, there must be a way how I would submit to God even without learning anything from any other man. Yeah. But directly from God, there must be this innate predisposition where I just understand in which relation I stand to my creator. Yeah, yeah. Or, or we Bro, yeah, I wanted to really quickly jump in and say that Islam, we understand it's it's both a revealed religion and a natural religion. So just like Rami was saying, just like you were saying, yes, the new Islam, the Islam from 1400 years ago, although we believe that Islam was, was there since the beginning of time when Allah sent, you know, Prophet Adam, the first man on earth, um, Adam was a Muslim, peace be upon him, you know, so all messengers and prophets were Muslim, but it's also a natural religion. We have the fitra, which is the innate predisposition that you mentioned, and we all have that, we're all born with that. Everyone's born with that. It's just society, parents, circumstances that change it. Right on. Okay, guys, we are already at it for one hour 11. I asked my questions, pretty much all of them. I don't want to drag it on for too long. I don't want to hold you up. Rami, bro, you want to say something? You muted your mic is off. My bad. Yeah, I turned it off instead of on. My bad. I was gonna mention the fitra, but you basically covered it. Someone asked if the stream ended, so I got worried and just checked. But I think we're good, inshallah. But yeah, the fitra is something the natural, you know, predisposition that you spoke about. Uh, whereas, uh, basically, it's it's what you saw in yourself as a kid when you connected to God. It's what you see in kids all around. And the study that was done, I think, at Oxford University, where they basically conducted a study and found that every single kid. Uh, believes in a higher power, believes in God, one yeah. God from a young age. And that's what we would call the fitra. That it's the same thing atheists ex ex experience when they're about to you know, die or they're in a tragic situation. They call out to God regardless. That's just the natural disposition that we have as humans. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Bobby, you got no more questions? I had a few more, but I just didn't want to go on for too long. Should I ask Tell me how much time we got? I got about nine minutes. Yeah, uh, about about nine minutes. Yeah, we yeah. can fit. Okay, we then continue, bro. Okay. I have a question about Jesus then. Do you think that Jesus, aside from him submitting to God, I think that is universal within the prophets as well. I would agree with that. 
Do you think that he had any other mission as well? Was his mission different than any other prophets? Do all the prophets differ within their missions? So the prophets don't differ in their missions. Actually, there's a verse in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says specifically that the believers, they say certain things. They say, you know, that I believe in Allah and his angels and his books and his messengers. And then we say that we don't make any differentiation between the messengers. I, as a believer, I don't differentiate between them. And that in some, in one case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he refers to people as disbelieving in the, the messengers, plural. Because if you reject one, you basically reject them all because they came with the same exact message. The only difference with Isa is he's also the Messiah. And the Messiah, I know in Christianity, is something that they see as, oh, he, he has to die for our sins. And that's what the anointed person does because Messiah means anointed. Uh, we believe that the anointed Messiah, Messiah is supposed to come back in the end of times and be with the Muslims and kill the Antichrist and be a, a sign for the world as Allah describes him in the Quran. We see it the same way that Jesus will return and fight the Antichrist. That is the same in the eschatology of Christian orthodoxy too. Mm -hmm. With, of course, the difference of the dying for your sins part. Yeah. But other than that, Jesus preached that the kingdom of heaven is within. Would you say that that is relating to the fitra or how would you interpret that? Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. It's very interesting. I think... Um, yeah. I think in that context, you could say that you could say that it's related to the fitra. But on the kingdom of God specifically, I find you find something very interesting in in I think Second Daniel's with the the dream that the Babylonian king had. So basically, long story short, he saw a dream where he saw a statue with a gold head, silver torso, uh, bronze legs, and then the feet were iron mixed with clay. Mm -hmm. And then he saw a big boulder fall down from the sky, crush the statue and then cement itself to the ground and become a mountain. And David, uh, he interpreted, was, no, not David, um, Daniel, pardon me. Daniel interpreted this dream for the king. And he said that your kingdom is the head of the statue. And then your kingdom will be overcome by another. And that will be overcome by another. And that will be overcome by another. And then you'll have the kingdom of God destroy, basically, or conquer all kingdoms that were left and basically be the firm kingdom of God on earth. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at the history, this was Babylon, right? Who conquered the ba who conquered the Babylonians, the Mesopotamians? Who conquered the Mesopotamians, the Persians? Who conquered the Persians, the Romans? Who conquered the Romans and anything remaining from any other kingdom? It was the Muslims, and then they ruled for fourteen hundred years under their Sharia, under their Islamic law, which we see as being the kingdom of God. Mm. Interesting, man. That's deep. Yeah. Yeah, something to look into. Actually, I saw one video about a Christian who was interpreting it, and he said himself, if you interpret this in a literal way, you come to find that the Muslims are the kingdom of God, which is problematic, so it must not be literal. That was <laughs> it must not be true then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After all. Yeah. <laughs> I did all the research, but it's wrong. Yeah, exactly. Got this video. Don't watch it, guys. <laughs> exactly, my man. That's all right. Let's, uh, I think we have time for maybe one or two more. One more question. I had a question about circumcision. Yeah. How does it look like for reverts? Do they have to get circumcised? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. That's a matter. That's a matter of the rulings in Islam, and I'm not well versed on that. So I, I personally don't know. Would you know, Fayad? Would I? No, I wouldn't know, bro. 
Wouldn't either. Wouldn't know. Yeah, there was something of interest to me. I know that Jesus, even according yeah. to the Bible, was circumcised. Don't get me wrong there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what I'm going to do, there's a website called Islam Kiwede. It's a very trusted website, so I'm just going to quickly look at it, even though I'm going to still tell, you know, consult a scholar. But in the meantime, you could ask Rami if you have any other alternative question. Honestly, that's pretty much all I wrote down. For now, I have to do my own research further. I, through this journey, realized that we can literally hold absolute opposite <laughs> opinions in two different time frames. The Bobby just a year ago hated Islam with a vengeance. Yeah. And now I find it to be quite the beautiful philosophy. So that is a totally different stance. And therefore, I don't want to ask too much. I want to do my own digging then further and learn more. If I have something on the way, of course, I will always reach out to Muslims. I have many of Muslim followers nowadays, especially. But as for right now, that's all with questioning, man. All right. All right, my man. I appreciate yeah. it very much. It was, there were really, really common questions, I think. And I'm yeah. glad that you're asking them as you go along. For sure. Alhamdulillah. So, yeah, thank you very much for having me, guys. Yeah, of want, course, bro. You you're welcome someone. anytime. You're welcome yeah. anytime, bro. It was a pleasure speaking with you and chopping it up. Uh, anyone that made it this far or just joined in the stream and they didn't pick up anything else, just vegan, bro, if there's one thing you take away. But aside from that, anyone interested in the Quran, definitely hit us up. Um, there's a few good translations, inshallah, that we can put in the description. We, we look forward to seeing you next time, bro. Thank you very much again for having me, guys. All the best. Do I say Ramadan Mubarak? I'm not too sure. <laughs> yeah, bro. Have fun, have fun breaking your fast later on. Enjoy the dates. Have you, oh, yeah, I will for sure, you man. Do, Every bro. single night. Break it with the date. That's the son of the Prophet. Peace be upon him. And with that being said, Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa kina adab nar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam.